This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to the Equity Mates Summer Series, proudly brought to you by Comsec, the home of investing. Over 12 episodes, we're deep diving into some of the most exciting, interesting, and well-known companies from around the world. Each episode, we'll be unpacking one company with one expert. We'll learn from their process and hear why they like the company. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you? Bryce, I'm very good. I'm very excited for this episode. We are talking about a well-known company, <laughs> yes, a big company, <laughs> yes, but a company that is on the cutting edge of the next wave of technology. Sheesh! I mean, that that That's description many. could be <laughs> most of the, of the Magnus, big tech companies. Yes, Magnificent Seven. But the company we're talking about today is Alphabet, and the expert that's joining us to unpack it is Mary Manning, a portfolio manager at Alfinity Investment Management. Mm. How big can Alphabet get? That's what I'm excited to unpack today. <laughs> well, you can ask that. You can ask that to Mary. Yes. Before we speak about Alphabet or put any questions to Mary, we've got to say a big thank you to Comsec, who are proudly supporting the Equity Mates Summer Series. If the Equity Mates content isn't enough for you, Comsec has a content hub stocked with all the support, information, and resources you need to build confidence and make the right money moves. Get zero dollar brokerage on your first ten trades. For Australian markets when you join. Download the Comsec app today or visit comsec.com.au. Comsec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. And just a reminder that while we are licensed, we're not aware of your personal circumstances. Any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes. Any advice is general. Now, Bryce, before we speak to Mary, let's unpack the company itself. It's a company that doesn't need a lot of introduction. No. Alphabet, the parent company of Google. Yes. I guess that is the introduction it needs. Yes, you know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a company that like, we'll, we'll get into the business, but I think where we need to start is just what has happened even just over this summer because the AI arms race is on and it was pretty clear that 2023 Microsoft and OpenAI were out ahead. Mm. But in December, like right before Christmas when everyone was switching off and getting ready for, for summer, Google released their Gemini paper, 700 co-authors, including Sergey Brin, the Google co-founder. You kind of love to see that. And apparently he was involved on the tools involved. Wow. Like that's a technical co-founder. Yeah. But apparently 
uh, obviously we're not AI experts, but from all the reporting, what they have built is just next level. Yes. So just to put some color to what Gemini is, it's their GPT for equivalent, their, I guess, large learning, what is it called? Large Lang- language lang- model. Large yeah. language model, like backend to support yeah. whatever is what wants to be built on top of it. And the market loved it at the time that they announced it, the stock jumped it was, it was about up- 7%. Oh, was it? I thought yeah. it was up 5.5% the day after it was announced. And 5, five or 7% if it is, like that's- For a three, almost a $2 trillion, $2 trillion company. company. Yeah. Like, that's billions of dollars of value added. So it's it's probably too early for us to really have a good gauge on what it's going to mean. But this Gemini AI is going to now power their Google Bard chatbot. And I'm sure a number of other initiatives that we'll see rolled out in 2024. But I think that context is is relevant as we start to talk about, you know, its operating segments and Alphabet as a business today. It's that it's underpinned by some, you know, you, you probably don't think about it as cutting edge as maybe some other tech companies, but like it's its number of AI researchers and PhDs per square foot is higher than any other company in existence and it's starting to flex that muscle. Well, let's get to Alphabet the business, Ren. It's a company that doesn't need a lot of introduction, to be honest. Yeah. But I'm glad Mary has brought this to the table because often when you see huge companies like this, you kind of think, what is the investment thesis here? We know what it is. How much bigger can it get? So I'm really interested to hear Mary's view on this. But if you are unaware of what Alphabet does outside of just its search, it is obviously a large conglomerate that offers multiple products. It has three reportable segments, Google services, Google cloud, and what they call other bets. Okay. That's probably not the most descriptive way to break up the company, but let's talk, well, that's how they report let's it. talk about that and then maybe we'll talk about how we would break it up. Sure. So how they break it up, Google services encompasses obviously search, it encompasses YouTube, it encompasses their ads program. Primarily, that's it. Google search is enormous. It's I think has over 90% market share. Like it is Google, their Google services. The second component is cloud competing with the likes of Azure from Microsoft and AWS. Yep. I think it's the third largest player though in the cloud space. And then finally is their other bets. That's where they take a lot of their free cash flow and invest in things like Waymo, what other artificial intelligence, So, well, I mean, artificial intelligence is throughout, but um, Waymo, which is autonomous driving, Wing, which is drone-based delivery. Yes. Uh, they've got Calico, which is their anti-aging business. They've got isomorphic labs, which is using AI for drug discovery. They've got intrinsic, which is uh, robotics. A lot of uh, very sexy industries to play in. Not a lot of money being made. Not a lot of money being made at all. In in fact, quite a lot of money being lost in the other bets component. So Waymo for me is an interesting one and we can... We can go back and talk about Google's business more generally, but just on Waymo, um, for about the last five or six years, if you've been in Phoenix, Arizona, you've been able to pull out your phone, open an Uber-like app and order a Waymo self-driving taxi to drive you somewhere, which is amazing. Mm. Like a driverless car has been taxiing people around Phoenix, Arizona for like the last five or six years. 
The problem is the technology that they've built is incredibly non-scalable. It's incredibly bespoke to each city. And so for five or six years, they've been in Phoenix, Arizona. They've just got to their second city, San Francisco. So at this rate, we might get it in Sydney in like <laughs> 2068. <laughs> Still pretty cool. Wow. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I mean, cool. Yeah, it is. That is that is cool. I'd love to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. But we just got to go to Phoenix, Arizona. <laughs> I know. Maybe business trip next year. We'll see. Anyway, back to the business, Ren. So let's break down Google services a bit more because this is where the majority of the revenue comes from. And that is things like their Android, Chrome, Google Maps, Google Play, YouTube, search. They use all of that to essentially generate advertising revenue. Yeah. And that is the bulk of the business. I think something like 250 $80 billion in revenue comes from that part of the business mm. from a total of almost $300 billion, So, Which is why we said it's probably not the best way to break up the business into those three categories. No, but that's just how they report it. I know. I'm saying. I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But I'm saying- I'm surprised YouTube falls under there. I think I have in my mind that YouTube is way bigger than it is to Google, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, like they would say the reason that it makes sense to break it up that way is all of those different constituent business parts do different things, but make money the same way. Advertising. Turning our data into advertising. <laughs> so like YouTube, search, Android, all of it is just a function of telling us what to buy next. Yes. And God, they do a good job they of it. They do. They do. <laughs> I think YouTube roughly makes 11% of Google of that uh, chunk of revenue. Okay. So It's not small. It's not small. No. The second part, as I said at the top, is Google Cloud. Now, this is one of the faster growing parts of the business, made revenue of just shy of $27 billion. So still in the grand scheme of things, what, about 10% of total group revenue. And most people wouldn't think that they're customers of Google Cloud, but are in the sense if they use Google G Drive? Yes. And G Gmail? Well, Gmail, yeah. Does yes. that fit into that? I don't know. I think cloud, the way that I understand it is that they are- um, Or is it more like AWS style? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Networking is how I would, how I think of it. Yeah. Like their um, enterprise level Google workspace stuff. That's, but that's like, we use enterprise- <laughs> Yeah, or, yeah. We use the cloud, Google Cloud. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it's just yeah. Google Drive. But they'll be paid for. I guess so. <laughs> I'm sure that's not how they would put it, but it's the same <laughs> shit. <laughs> Technical term. Technical term. Yeah. But I think the cloud business is the part that excites or that is is growing the f the fastest. Or not growing the fastest, but is is growing faster than other parts of the business. And we've spoken about other bets. Just to close out the numbers on that, the other bets part of the business, I think they generated just over a billion in revenue, but over $6 billion in operating loss in 2022. So the other, other bets, bets yeah, yeah, yeah. So losing a lot of money there. Yeah, but imagine if they nailed just one of them. True. Yeah, Waymo. Anyway. That, that, that's, that would be their internal pitch every year yeah, for funding. Imagine. Imagine if imagine we nailed, if we it. nailed it. <laughs> So I think when we're thinking about Google, I'm interested to see where Mary's thesis lies, is that it's kind of it's kind of done its dash. Is and, and, you know, full disclosure, it's one of my biggest single stock positions. I'm not arguing this, but I think the consensus view of a lot of people is that 
Google search is as dominant as it will ever be and it will just grow in line with population growth and GDP. Like there's not a massive untapped growth opportunity there. Cloud, it's the third player in a growing space, but it's the third player. Like if you're interested in cloud, go to Microsoft or Amazon. And then YouTube's good, Android's good, their ad-serving marketplace is, is good, but they're all pretty saturated. Like you're not, you don't see a path to like doubling any of that. And other bets are other bets. Like they're moonshots. They're like, so that's kind of the consensus around Google. I feel, mm, mm. and that was definitely why the share price fell so much in 2022. That people saw it as like a bloated behemoth mm. that would not go anywhere, mm. but wouldn't run anywhere quickly and then obviously chat gpt comes along and everyone's like oh is this going to be the first real threat to google search that probably hasn't eventuated yet but i think that story that picture that i'm painting is kind of the consensus view of google yes do you think that's fair yeah yeah Yeah. just like how much bigger can this thing get yeah yes now what we saw in the most recent set of numbers is that that bloated behemoth Behemoth? Behemoth, behemoth. Yeah. yeah. Bloated behemoth. behemoth. Trimmed down a little bit. Just like everyone else in America, it hit the assembly Zen- pretty yes. hard <laughs> and it trimmed some fat. And Cuts it, and costs. Its revenue grew. Its revenue grew, what, like 20% or something? Oh, I'm, these are the numbers I'm pulling. But from memory, its revenue grew about 20%, but its profit doubled. Mm. And that was a story of managing their costs. And that got everyone pretty excited about it again. But I still think the long-term question about where does the next leg of growth for Google come from is the question on a lot of investors' minds. Yeah. Well, we can put it to Mary. They're so big. All these large tech companies that they continue to surprise us year on year. Or they get broken up, you know. Yes. They're in court. They've been in court for decades trying to be broken up. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Now, I just want to say – the YouTube story fascinates me. They were they acquired YouTube in two thousand and six for one point six billion dollars. Oh, okay, or something. I thought it was a straight billion. No, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. one point six billion. Now YouTube made revenue of thirty billion in twenty twenty two. So they're making about one and a half billion dollars every three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty good. Absolute. It's just it's such a dominant platform. Yeah, and like we the industry that we're in, we see it. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you give us a like and subscribe. And if you're not watching this on YouTube, you can be. Um, but it's so dominant and it's so dominant with younger users as mm, well. Mm. Like everyone's raving about TikTok. YouTube is bigger. It's right up there. I think the stats are uh, in the US, 64% of teens use Instagram regularly. 67% use TikTok regularly. 95% use YouTube regularly. Yeah. Yeah. It's fast becoming the TV replacement for a lot of them. Already is. Yeah. Like we saw our mate Elton in the States and YouTube TV is like live TV. Mm. It's still such a small part of Google now that I'm thinking about it though. That's because Google's massive. <laughs> yeah, because Google's huge. <laughs> Google's a $1.7 trillion company. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. I guess don't lose sight of that though because you can get so excited about so many different constituent parts of Google, but your investment thesis has to correlate with 
their relative positions in the company. And that's a convoluted way of me saying YouTube could double its revenue, yeah. go from 30 bill to 60 bill, yeah. be an incredible growth story. Yeah. And if Google search falls off a little bit, yeah. all of that value is eroded away. Yes. Well, that's a great segue. Let's bring in Mary because Thanks, <laughs> I am very interested to hear what forms her thesis for a company of this size and yeah, is it that search doubles from here or is it that YouTube doubles? I'm going to love it if it's the drone delivery <laughs> yes. dominate. Now, before we bring in Mary, ComSec is the home of investing. And if you want to start small, you can through the ComBank app. You can invest with as little as $50. Consistent, small amounts can add up to meaningful returns. Visit combank.com.au for more. ComSec T's and C's and other fees and charges apply. We'll be right back with Mary after this short break. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. You're listening to the Equity Mates Summer Series. Well, we're here with Mary Manning. Mary, welcome back to Equity Mates. Thank you so much for having me. So to kick things off, we all know Alphabet. We've all used many of their products, search, YouTube, you name it. So the question that we want to start with is how do you actually think about Alphabet as an investment and going beyond what we just know it as today? Great question to start out. At Alfinity, we look for earnings leadership. So those are stocks that are in a beat and raise cycle and where there's lots of momentum in the earnings. So for any stock we look at, including Alphabet, or I'll, I'll call it Google, uh, you know, <laughs> as, we, as we go through, because that's how most people refer to it, we are looking at what's happening to the earnings. So if you back up a little bit and look at what drives the earnings, there's obviously four different parts primarily that drive revenues. So that's search, which everybody is very familiar with, YouTube, cloud, and then other bets. So we look at those four businesses separately and 
see where the momentum's going. And then one aspect of Google, which has become much more important in the last 12 months, is costs. A lot of the, the mega cap tech companies, after years of just spending and hiring uh, sort of with no breaks on, they have started to focus more on costs. And that is a big part of the Google earnings turnaround story. And then lastly, we do look at CapEx. And with the whole push towards AI, there's a lot of expenditure both in OpEx and in CapEx for Google. So those are the sort of components that we look at. And then we look at together, taking those together, um, how is their momentum in earnings? And are those earnings going to beat what is expected by the consensus on the street? So I think we'll drill down into some of those constituent parts throughout this conversation, but let's start with how you're analyzing it. And you mentioned a few really key metrics there around the financials, earnings, and then also that they're beating their estimates so that they're putting out or that Wall Street are making. When you're looking at the business metrics as well, what are the things that you want to see as investors across those different constituent parts? So let's start and go through by each business unit. In search, search is primarily digital ads. So what we're looking for there is revenue growth and potentially or or preferably accelerating revenue growth. So that's the part of the business model in in Google, which is actually tied to the economy. A lot of statistical analysis shows that, you know, digital ad spend has to do with where general GDP growth is going and particularly where personal consumption expenditure or PCE is going. So we look at those digital ads and see whether there's momentum in, in digital ads. The second part is looking at YouTube. That's also an advertising business. So we look at YouTube, just overall revenue growth and the acceleration or acceleration of revenue growth, but also subscribers. That's a part of the, the YouTube business, which is slightly different than search. And then on cloud, cloud, you know, there's three main hyperscalers, Azure, which is owned by Microsoft, AWS, which is Amazon, and then GCP, which is Google Cloud Platforms, which is Google. The other two are sort of big behemoths and Google Cloud is quite small. So for that, we look at actually three different metrics. One is, is cloud growing? The second is cloud growth accelerating. This has been a very big thing for all of the hyperscalers. They're still growing, but it's been at a a slower rate. And then the third thing is looking at profitability of cloud. Because for many years, cloud was growing on the top line, but it was sort of a land grab. And so that business was actually loss making at an operating profit level. Very recently, and for reasons which we can get into later, that business has become profitable. And then other bets, we're not really looking at revenue growth. We're actually just looking at whether those are profitable and whether there are any, uh, maybe I should back up a second. Other bets is sort of like an internal R&D, private equity VC part of of Google. To be frank, it's been quite disappointing uh, given all of the technology expertise and the AI expertise and the, you know, firepower and brain power at Google. The fact that they haven't come up with any unicorns since other bets started or certainly any unicorns that have been listed separately and that have provided value to the Google shareholders uh, is a concern. So basically, I just look at other bets, see if there's anything in there that can become you know, a success later on. But for in the more immediate term, I'm looking at whether that, you know, how loss making that business is. Because if you're looking at EPS and you have a big loss come through to other bets on a quarterly basis, it can, you know, create a miss. Mm-hmm. Of all the business units, which one excites you the most? I would say cloud. Probably because, you know, search, everybody knows it, everybody uses it, it has a massive moat around the business, they have 90% market share globally, and in most, you know, some countries it's even higher than that. So it's hard to see uh, a scenario where search gets better. 
Search is just the sort of cash cow that continues to move along. The thing about cloud, though, is it is very nascent. It's a fraction of the size of, of Azure and AWS, and they have quite a different client base. So Azure and AWS, they deal with sort of top 100 companies. They have very big enterprise businesses. But Google is dealing more with sort of SME, or they call it small and medium business, SMB, and AI startups. And so if you look forward, you know, 10, 15 years, Things that are AI startups today might be mega caps 10, 15 years from now. And I think that's really exciting. And the second thing from a profitability perspective is uh, Google Cloud, as I mentioned before, it used to be loss making. And then the last quarter, the OP margin was only 3%. Whereas AWS, for example, is somewhere between 26 and 30%, depending on what quarter it is. So you can see a scenario for Google Cloud where it gets much, much, much bigger. And the operating profit margin is like triple or quadruple what it is now. And I think that's pretty exciting. Mm, Yeah, That is exciting. And I imagine that's a key part of the bull case when you're thinking about Alphabet. Is it really just tied to that business unit or is there a broader investment thesis that you have at the moment? There is a much broader investment thesis. So cloud, um, you know, I did this analysis even though cloud has probably a really exciting longer term outlook, if you take out the cloud operating profit on a quarterly basis, it makes like low single digit impact on EPS. So it has the best long term story, but on a quarterly basis, it's it's not you know swinging the dial between um, beat and raise or, or a miss. But at a more high level investment thesis, I think Google as an AI winner is is the number one exciting okay. story. Because if you cast your minds back to maybe a year ago now when ChatGPT first launched mm. and there was this whole thesis out there that Google wasn't going to be a major loser and yeah. that Bing was going to take over and, you know, really, who uses Bing? <laughs> you can do a straw poll. I here. remember a few uh, podcast episodes Definitely. where Bryce, Bryce was saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I don't think I was backing Bing, but I was you backing were, the You were co- saying this is the first, I think your quote is this is the first time I see a real threat to Google. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. True disruption. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think, um, you know, my, my, it was quite interesting because at the time, if you looked at some of these AI winners and AI loser, like ETFs, Google was in both of them. So it was, it was a very <laughs> right. um, bifurcated view yeah, yeah, of yeah. Google's going to be a loser or Google's going to be a winner. I have always been in the winner camp because I feel that Google is like the original AI stock. And before anyone was talking about AI, before there was ChatGPT or Anthropic or OpenAI or any of these things, Google's whole search business runs on AI. Like those are the algorithms that are that are matching the, the ad buyers and, and ad suppliers. And the, there's a whole AI-focused algorithm that is giving the results on search. So it was sort of like Google's the, the OG AI company, but people just forgot about that because mm-hmm. there was a, a new exciting thing come on with ChatGPT. Didn't they also buy the actual OG AI uh, DeepMind? Or? DeepMind, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, they did. Exactly. Yeah. And from a... Um, from a pure research perspective, like DeepMind, um, they've actually just changed the organization of Google, so that will, will be easier to see what DeepMind is. It's not a profitable business, but but the like from a more academic perspective, the research that they do in DeepMind is very, very important. Mm. And it's, as you rightly highlight, it's been going on for years and years. This isn't something that you know popped up last November when mm. ChatGPT yeah, yeah, yeah. launched. So I think that aspect of, of Google, that it is an original AI stock, is sort of got completely overlooked when all these other things took off. And I think that's one of the the important drivers of of Google long-term. Yeah. So no mention of YouTube here, which for us feels like like we're both 
shareholders and I'm yep. a massive YouTube user. And when, you know, just in the business that we're in, looking at how younger people are consuming media, YouTube is number one, if not yeah, so, close to from TikTok. So the stats are, you know, everyone talks about uh, US teens on TikTok mm-hmm. and the stats are it's about 64% of US teens are regular users of Instagram, 67% TikTok, and then it's like ninety five percent YouTube and watching <laughs> hours a day. It's just wild. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. How, where does YouTube play in your thesis? So, I like YouTube. I agree with you. You guys actually probably know the stats and the, the business better than I do. So, I will defer to you on this one. I definitely like YouTube, but it's just important to keep in mind how big it is. So, YouTube revenues are about the same as Google Cloud. So, YouTube can do very, very well, and it's an ancillary driver. It gives a little bit more momentum. But if we ever got into a macro situation where digital ads was rolling over. YouTube wouldn't be enough to, to save it. And also the, the ad business mm. of YouTube would probably roll over at the same time. So it is very exciting. One thing I think we should all watch going into the US presidential election next year is actually what happens to TikTok. Because you remember last time during the election, people like to sort of, um, you know, gang up on, on Chinese companies and Trump wanted to ban it and et cetera. And, you know, for the stats that you just said, they, they do have big market share. They're a big competitor to YouTube. And if that ever got banned in the US or it looks like it's going that way, that would definitely be a win for YouTube. Mm-hmm. So like the YouTube business, it's run very well, but it is smaller in the in the context of, of search. Which is just crazy to think about given how massive it is as a platform. TikTok or YouTube? YouTube. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's just, yeah, in, yeah. almost insignificant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> not insignificant. Like-, <laughs> like the, the revenues are roughly the same as cloud, but obviously it's much more profitable. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you, you couldn't just buy, buy Google because you like YouTube because yes. yeah. it could get swamped by other parts of the business at yeah. an earnings level. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why maybe it gets broken up one day and then Bryce can just buy YouTube. But <laughs> we <laughs> we'll can get, get to that, that later. We'll get I to that. We'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get to that when we talk about the bear case because there's a few different, uh, I guess, threats that we should talk about. But let's stay on the bull case for now. So, you know, there's um, the AI winner story. There's the earnings beat story and the turnaround from a cost point of view has been pretty remarkable. Potential in cloud, potential in YouTube. So there's a lot of things to like. Is there anything else that we haven't spoken about? I note that we haven't spoken about other bets. Any, <laughs> any flyers you want to take there or is that those those components the main uh, parts of the thesis? I would say two things. First of all, we should dig a little bit deeper on the cost side because you know, big tech, they got quite lazy when, when interest rates were near zero and, you know, they could just spend, 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 spend. It was kind of like throw spaghetti at the wall and, and see what sticks because there's there's enough cost to be able to support a whole bowl of spaghetti. And I think now it's a very different environment. There's been a lot of cost control, particularly in, in last year in 2022 a lot of these stocks went into deep earnings downgrade cycle. So we held Google sort of throughout COVID and and the the big boom afterwards, and then we sold it. It was completely out of the portfolio because it was in a deep earnings downgrade cycle, and that's not when we hold stocks. And then we bought it again very early this year. So cost control is important. And and one thing we, we joke about internally is there was this news release, it was maybe six or eight months ago now, saying that Google was cracking down on costs and they were removing staplers from the office <laughs> and they were taking dried mango out of the kitchen. And everybody was laughing, like, come on, this is a trillion dollar plus market cap company. You have you know, hundreds of billions of sales mm-hmm. and costs and you're going to generate cost cuts by removing staplers. Like when was the last time you guys used a stapler? Yeah, I was going to say, And you know, dried mangoes, like really? And so everyone was laughing and there were all these memes. But if you take a step back, that's actually a very positive thing in my view, that there's someone, Ruth Porat is the 
she's moving on as a CFO, but she was the CFO at the time that someone in her office was going through Google's income statement and cost structure to the extent that they identified dried mangoes and staplers. Mm. That's showing a level of focus on cost cutting that we've never seen from companies like Google before. So I think that, that that's quite positive. Google is is different than companies like, say, Meta. So Meta, they they really threw the spaghetti at the wall. They were mm. just going yeah, all yeah, out yeah. on cost. Their cost <laughs> structure doubled over a, a, a few years. And now they're actually cost cutting. And that, that's been a, a strong story for, for Meta also. Google isn't cost Cost cutting in terms of the cost basis is actually going down, but they the cost growth is definitely in control, and because revenues are growing so nicely, they have a very positive Jaws story. So that I like the cost cutting story. They do have a new CFO coming in. So Ruth Porat, uh, not this most recent quarter, but in the August results, they said that she's moving on from CFO. She is going to focus as a CIO on other bets, uh, which. We can discuss whether that's going to be positive or, or negative to turn around. They have not announced who's going to be the new CFO now. They've said that Ruth is doing the planning for 2024, but we're not sure who's going to come in. And it's actually remarkably quiet. Don't know if it's an internal hire, an external hire, if it's a tech person. Remember, Ruth came from Wall Street. So there's really not very much information, but I'm watching that very closely because whoever comes in, it's important that they are also on the cost cutting, You know, mm. that they, they don't abandon that sort of focus on cost cutting. So how do you balance that in like there's two conflicting stories almost like on one hand it's it's controlling costs and and just seeing you know revenue grow but earnings grow a lot faster because you're controlling costs and then on the other hand it's there's this massive AI boom and which is incredibly capital intensive and and there's a lot of spending going on and it probably will require a lot of investment to position themselves and win so is it just you want to see the right type of spending and what is the right type of spending? How are you sort of holding those cut costs but also spend where you need to? Thoughts? That's a great question. So two things. First of all, you're right. It's it's what kind of costs there are. So if Google says we're hiring more people, I want to know that they're hiring AI engineers. They're not just hiring random people who are not going to generate uh, any profit. So like that would be a, a specific example. Um, secondly, the difference between OPEX and CAPEX. So there does need to be a lot of CAPEX to, to generate the sort of AI revenues um, going forward. So that that's important. And then on the OPEX front, looking what's R&D and what's just other sort of, of OPEX. So that's mm-hmm. sort of how I'm looking at it. You're right, now is a time when you want to be leaning forward in terms of AI, and you don't want to get caught up in the sort of cost-cutting narrative and sort of miss the boat on AI. I think thus far, Google's done a pretty good job of making sure that they're moving forward on AI while continuing to control costs on, on other things. Yeah. Mm. So Mary, let's move to the bear case. And can you give us a sense, just high level, of what you're sort of looking for in terms of red flags or or, or metrics that you're, you're tracking to see if this thesis might start unwinding? The first thing I'll say is very high level. So obviously, Magnificent Seven has done amazingly well mm. this year. And if you look back through history, mean reversion generally happens. So mm. my biggest concern about Google is actually not about Google as a stock. Uh, and I'm, I, I'm not, not answering your question, but the thing that keeps me up at night is that you would have some massive mean reversion so that all of the Mag 7s go down next year and, you know, the Russell 2000 absolutely, you know, takes off. And if you look at valuation differentials, if you look at performance differentials, there, you can make a case that there should be some mean reversion out of the Mag 7. So that's an important concern. We have our two largest positions in our fund 
around right now are Microsoft uh, at around 7% or over, and then Google is next at between 6 and 7%, depending on the fund. So those are big, you know, if MAG7 rolls over, that's that would be quite significant for us. One level down from that, it's macro, but it has very important implications for Google, would be if you have a hard landing in the U.S., and particularly a hard landing for U.S. consumer. Because as I mentioned previously, a lot of statistical analysis shows that digital ads is very highly correlated to personal consumption expenditure. And if you have, you know, Fed stays higher for longer and U.S. consumer rolls over and that digital ad cycle goes into a negative part of the cycle, it's very hard for Google to perform well in that sort of environment. Mm. Let's hold on that. I'm sure there's there's other elements that you're watching, but on that, looking at the consumer and thinking about where they're at and hard landing, soft landing, US inflation came in at 3.2% for the 12 months to October and it seemed like the market all breeds a sigh of relief. How are you seeing that? And like, I guess, probabilistically, how are you thinking about the chances of hard landing v soft landing? So as we discussed when I when I arrived, I've just been in the U.S. for two weeks and met with a lot of consumer companies. Part of my goal in going was to get a view on where the U.S. consumer is. And unfortunately, I do not have a pound the table. This is my view on, on U.S. consumer because across the board, almost every consumer company I met with and even, you know, like companies like Amazon or, or e-commerce, they don't have very much visibility. So I said, you know, we're going into Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Can you give me an idea of of how things are tracking, we don't have very much visibility. Mm. So so I feel like companies, they either don't have visibility and they don't know, or they're so nervous about it that they're not willing to <laughs> tell investors. Yeah, yeah. But both of those suggest that there's just not that much visibility. I personally don't think that there's going to be a hard, hard landing, mostly because of the very basic point that unemployment is still very low. And if you look back throughout history, you generally don't have a hard landing until you get a spike in, in unemployment. And mm. we're not seeing that yet. So it's I don't think we're going to have a hard landing, but whether it's going to be super soft or, or you know medium hard, I don't have a strong view on that. I think we will get a lot more information at the January set of results. So that's results that I'm, I'm looking at very closely for consumer related and digital ad related spending stocks. Mm. So are there other things that you're watching out that could break your thesis or or have you concerned? So on cloud, we need to see cloud at least stabilizing. So there's some very interesting words being tossed around by the major cloud companies. So at first things were optimizing, which was sort of like a euphemism for they're getting worse, but we don't we don't want to say that they're getting worse. So for almost last year, they were saying that large clients are optimizing. And then it was stabilizing. So growth is, you know, that it was decelerating, but now it's stabilized. And then last quarter, Amazon came out with this new world called attenuating. And they kept saying cloud <laughs> growth is attenuating. And well, to is Google, I was like Googling attenuating to make sure I knew exactly what it means. So one thing we need to see all these cloud companies inflect. Like, I, I don't want to hear about optimizing and stabilizing and attenuating. I wanted them to say things have inflected, we are growing and we're growing at an accelerating mm-hmm. pace. So that, we need to see that sometime in 2024. If for whatever reason, cloud continues to decelerate or if those growth rates are, are dropping off, I think that would be quite negative um, for cloud. Attenuating, reduce the force, effect or value of. <laughs> I just thought you might want to nice. know. Because <laughs> I, I needed to Google it as well. No, see, so that's what we were saying is attenuating attenuating better or worse than stabilizing because stabilizing True. suggests that you're going like this and attenuating suggests you're still going down yeah. with a slower yeah, pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where it's, it's not as intense. I would suggest that the fact they needed to change their word to something else <laughs> means that it's getting worse. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I was just going to say just on that, Mary, so obviously you're watching the quarterly earnings pretty closely and making decisions based on that. But for the retail investor sitting at home who, you know, it's hard to sort of get out of the cycle of every three months Google's throwing 
earnings results at you. How do you treat the earnings cycle and how many do you give before you make a general decision on what your if your thesis is broken or not, if that makes sense? So we want companies that are earnings upgrade cycle and the cycle part is important. So generally companies don't, um, you know, this is a very important part of our investment philosophy. They don't miss once and then they're back off to the races yeah. or they don't beat once and then everything falls apart the next quarter. There's a lot of momentum in companies' earnings, particularly some of these, these bigger companies. So generally what a lot of our quantitative back testing shows is that once you're in an earnings upgrade cycle, you can stay in that cycle for quite some time. So Microsoft is a good example. It was in uh, our portfolio for five and a half years before it went into an earnings downgrade cycle. So it's not, you know, it's in the portfolio this quarter, it's out the next quarter. We're looking for stocks where you can see that that longer term cycle. And I think Google is definitely in that longer term cycle now. The other thing to focus on, which we haven't mentioned yet, is valuation. So one thing that I love about Google is that it's Google. It has like the most amazing brand name in the world. It has YouTube, which is another amazing brand name. And for everything that you're getting for Google, you're getting that at 19 times PE. Mm. And earnings growth uh, for the next three years is 20% or higher. So you are getting a $1.7 trillion market cap company that's growing at 20% for a peg of less than one times. That, <laughs> that is like, I mean, I... That's very, very attractive. So taking a longer term view, you can always sort of come back to that valuation and say, this is a bull case on the bear side. And when you even all those out, you're getting all that for 19 times. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Mm. So one thing, speaking of the, you know, the fire hose inf of information we get every quarter from US earnings season, it feels like particularly in financial media, you see a real comparison on cloud growth rates between the three big players, AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud. And it's basically like the media just line up their three growth rates next to each other and see who's growing the fastest and who's growing the slowest. Is that what you guys do at Alfinity <laughs> as well? No, we, we have a very detailed model. So my colleague Trent covers Microsoft and then I do Google and, and Amazon. There's a couple things that you need to look at there. It, it, you can't just line them up. Mm. So one is AWS is way bigger. So AWS growing at 12% can be adding more dollars of cloud revenue than Azure growing at 25%. So we have a whole separate part of the spreadsheet that's looking at dollar ads, and that's quite important. In the last quarter, AWS, even though it was growing at 12%, had the most dollar ads of cloud revenue of any of the big three. So that's one way that we look at it. The second thing is back to our attenuating, optimizing. You know, we're looking <laughs> at what is the, the direction and the direction of change for the for the global cloud players, because you could have, you know, Azure growing at 25 plus percent, but if that's decelerating down to 24, that would be much, much worse than AWS growing at 12 and, and re-accelerating up to, you know, 13, 14. So that rate of change is something that, that we look at. And then secondly, just recognizing that rates of change when you have, you know, AWS, which is three times bigger than Google, they should be growing a lot faster because they're off a much, much smaller base. Mm. So recognizing all those things, that's sort of how we look at the, the cloud players. And then we also look at whether there's any other cloud players that are coming up. So Oracle is a company which no one ever talked about in cloud for years and years and years. It has actually, you know, had some, some significant wins. So we, you know, the big three are the focus, but you also need to look at what's happening more broadly in, in cloud. Some of the restrictions um, coming out of China and the Alibaba cloud decision. And there's, there's a lot going on in cloud besides the, mm. the big three hyperscalers. So we've touched on a few different reasons to be concerned, but we should talk about the AI disruption risk because mm. as much as uh, your thesis right now is that they are going to be an AI winner, that is a thesis that you, I guess you have to keep challenging as new information comes to light. 
And the big concern a year ago was that no one would be Googling information anymore. We would be asking ChatGPT for that information. That certainly doesn't seem to have come to fruition. But early there would, days, there would, yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say. There would be people that just uh, say it hasn't come to fruition yet. So, how do you monitor that situation, and how do you, I guess, assess what's what's happening? One of the good things about ChatGPT and Bard is that you can test them yourself and come out with your own opinion. So we've done that internally, and I personally think Bard is much better than than ChatGPT. Really? Yes. Okay. So. The concern in the early days was because Bard hadn't come out yet. So you were comparing the amazingness and the excitement and the you know new product enthusiasm about ChatGPT with nothing. And in that you know in that race, obviously ChatGPT came out ahead. Mm. But I actually respect the way that Google took its time in launching Bard because there are some significant risks to humanity if you if you get it wrong. And Google they have had responsible AI principles for years and years. They have, you know, sort of guardrails in place internally about how fast AI can be developed. And I, as a shareholder and one who cares about ESG and responsible development of technology, I appreciate that they didn't just launch it and, you know, we'll deal with the consequences later. It was mm. quite measured. And then when they did launch it, it's it's done quite well. So that integration into search and the use of BARD, I think so far is good. And as we discussed before, there was a few months there where Bing was gaining single digit market share and that's just reversed. So I think the early jury is saying that those two are doing okay. I think also it's a very good structure within Google, how they look at their LLMs and how they roll that out across their other products. Again, just highlighting open AI, that's a very unstable structure. And I think Google, the fact that it's all in-house, that it has been in-house, you know, since DeepMind and even even before that is a very favorable structure versus some of the other ones out there. Mm. Side note, would love to do a podcast on the research of responsible AI that you're doing at some stage. So let's yes, pick that we, up. Yes, that report will be coming out in uh, February, March. Nice. So happy to nice. come back and, yeah, and discuss. We have, I'll just give you the, the like, <laughs> the teaser. We've engaged with over 30 companies globally. So about half of those are in Australia and like the, the major companies in Australia and some of the biggest companies overseas. And I've learned a lot about AI, full stop. And I've learned a lot about how to approach responsible AI. So we're coming up with the framework so that even if someone's not an AI expert or if they're not a, um, you know ESG expert, they can quickly look at a company and, and come to a decision about whether they think they're having a responsible approach or not. Nice. Nice. So I think one last risk that we should talk about is just the legal risk. How do you assess the cases going on, uh, the antitrust cases, but also how does it change your thesis if Google does get broken up? I would say it's important to cast our minds back to the fact that the the FTC and the regulators in the US have been going after big tech for quite some time now. So we discuss this with respect to all of them, whether it's Apple or Amazon, Microsoft, Google. The legal risk is not enough of a risk to not invest in these companies, because if that was your sort of stopgap it's too risky, we're not investing, you wouldn't have invested in them for the last 15 years. Mm. Uh, One thing that's a little bit different right now is you have Lena Khan at the FTC who is sort of on a war path to break up big tech. It seems like right now her attention is mostly focused on Amazon. And if you look at Amazon's business structure, there is a case to be made from an investor perspective, like from a value unlocking perspective and from a legal perspective, you know, whether they use logistics and they use the different parts of their business to be anti-competitive, you know, there, there is some case there. So our view on Google is that the antitrust spotlight is shining on Amazon right now and that that will, will be the case for, for some time going forward. From a Google perspective, I guess it's not so much a breakup 
because there's, unlike Amazon, there's less synergies that, that create antitrust problems between the, the different businesses. But within search, part of that lawsuit is that within search, they control both sides of the, you know, the buyers and the sellers and that that is, is antitrust. So breaking up Google and saying YouTube has to be separate and search has to be separate and other bets is separate, that doesn't solve the problem of the fact that the potential antitrust issue is, is within mm, one business. Mm. So I would say that the chances of Google being split up are, are slim. But obviously all of this legal risk is something that, that we're watching closely. And the rise of the Magnificent Seven in the last year, I think has probably highlighted this um, to regulators more because they're just so dominant, these seven companies, and their market caps are so enormous that it's probably going to attract more attention than it has in the past. Mm. So Mary, to close out then, if you think the probability of it being broken up are slim, what does Alphabet look like in 10 years' time? So I say a few things. First of all, this is what I want it to look like 10 nice. years from now. Uh, I want them to keep their moat in search. So I want that 90% market share and you know impenetrable moat around their core business to stay. I think that's the most important thing to making sure that the stock continues to perform. The second thing is I want them to be a global leader in AI. So the debate that's happening now because it's early days in terms of which product is going to win, et cetera, et cetera, that debate is over and Google has been crowned at least one of the winners in global AI. Thirdly, I want the cloud business to be much bigger. So it's growing fast, it's highly profitable, much more profitable than it is now, and it's a true competitor in the hyperscalers with AWS in Azure. And then ideally, I'd like it to still be attractively valued. So what you see with some of these companies that have very, very exciting stories is that it gets priced in straight away, and then it trades sideways over the next few years as, as people like are waiting for confirmation of what's happened. But Google, if you look at the history, generally that doesn't happen. It, it you know the, the valuation stays attractive and it continues to deliver on earnings and some of these more strategic things. And so it's a stock that you can hold in your portfolio for a very long period of time. Awesome. So what we didn't hear there is that would be driving around in Waymo cars or would be taking <laughs> yeah. drugs discovered by AlphaFold or that we'd be getting our drone deliveries from Wing. I am very skeptical on other bets. Yeah. So a few years ago, as you know, we've been discussing stocks for years and years, I was looking at Alibaba and Tencent. And if you look at those two companies, embedded in those companies, particularly in their heydays, was an entire super impressive VC business. And they would just churn out these unicorns. You know, you'd get calls from brokers. There's, there's a listing of a $25 billion stock in China and, and Tencent is the biggest shareholder. Mm, and mm. They, they were so impressive at investing in companies and then listing them and, and generating returns from that. And if you look at other bets, they don't do that. I mean, we're, we're you know, decades into to other bets being, you know, that sort of investment. And you have Waymo, but it's unprofitable. It's basically rolled out in Phoenix and San Francisco and they still have problems. And they've tried many times to change management into like, it's just, it's not working. Mm. And then some of the other businesses, they sound interesting. Like they're very interesting to look at, but they're not profitable either. And so other bets, when you put all that together, it's still loss making. Mm. And it's not just loss making, the losses are getting bigger year over year. And that's not what I want to see. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, want to yeah. see that like some sort of trend up to profitability. So maybe when, if Ruth Porat goes to other bets and as her role as CIO can control that, things can get better. But that would be a nice to have if it happens. It's not part of my underlying thesis. Nice. Love it. Well, it's a company we all are very familiar with and we'll keep using every day. So we'll, we'll be watching it closely. And um, thanks for coming in and talking about it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Mary. Now, before we leave, a huge thanks to our summer series partner, Comsec, the home of investing. If you're looking for more support and resources to build confidence in the market, head to their content hub. Otherwise, you can get $0 brokerage on your first 10 trades 
for Australian markets when you join, five US dollar brokerage on American stocks, and invest as little as $50 through the ComBank app. Download the ComBank app today or visit combank.com.au. Stay with us because next episode we have Anna Milne unpacking Aurora, pun intended, and you'll find out why. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.